Welcome to the Hong Kong on Screen podcast, brought to you by Hong Kong on Screen, a Los Angeles-based nonprofit organization promoting films and culture of Hong Kong. Hello, welcome back to the Hong Kong on Screen podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us, Mr. Kevin Ma. Kevin, can you introduce yourself a little bit? Hi, Justin. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, my name is Kevin Ma. Some of you might have heard me. I, I've been doing a podcast called East Screen West Screen for uh, I think nine years. Uh, I started as a film critic um, for LoveHFilm.com. Then I sort of got legit. I, I began working for organizations here, uh, writing for um, Hong Kong International Film Festival, Udine Far East Film Festival, doing Q and A's for uh, Asian Pop Up Cinema in America. Um, I now mainly do a lot of uh, translation work in the film industry, doing synopses um, and subtitles and scripts. And uh, I still do, 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 do the film festival writing. And of course, every year, and that's how Justin found me, is that every year I run a live blog of the Hong Kong Film Awards uh, on my website, Asia in Cinema. Yeah, Kevin is one of the most popular figures on uh, Hong Kong film Twitter. And I remember reading your writing on Discovery Magazine on Cathay Pacific when I was flying. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, for about three years, I was three and a half years. I was a uh, entertainment editor on the Cathay Pacific uh, magazine as well. Yeah. So for today's episode, we're gonna do like a reaction to the Hong Kong Film Awards, which just happened on July seventeenth, and. It was one of the most highly anticipated Hong Kong Film Awards in recent years, mostly because a physical Hong Kong Film Awards hasn't happened in three years, and the last one was replaced by a press conference where they just announced the winners, and it's also combining two years of eligibility because there weren't enough films released in theaters in twenty twenty one. Sorry, in twenty twenty. To make the awards happen, so the films of 2020 and 2021 are combined for the 2022 Hong Kong Film Awards, and well, we now know *Raging Fire: No Fall* by the late director Benny Chan won Best Film and Best Director, and *Limbo* and *Anita* are the two other biggest uh, winners. So, Kevin, uh, tell us your reaction, your immediate reaction to the Hong Kong Film Awards last week. Well, I can't be completely unbiased about the awards, and um, because I've I've worked on some of the films that got nominated, um, personally, I thought Limbo or Anita would have a chance to take the final award. Um, Raging Fire, you know, I think I think everyone expected uh, Benny Chan to win the award. Um, it's a posthumous award. Unfortunately, he passed away in uh, director Benny Chan direct, uh, passed away in twenty twenty just before post production started on the film. Um, so, and he's a very well-liked character uh, in, in Hong Kong film industry, so it was very much expected that he would win, and it was, a, of course, a very decent film. Um, but I think for it to go as far as winning Best Picture, I think that was a bit of a surprise for everyone. And otherwise, um, I think everything sort of fell into expectations. Um, Sia Liu, everyone thought Sia Liu would win uh, for Limbo. A lot of people thought that um, Fish Liu would finally win something. Um, no one knew which film, but she finally won something. Uh, and Nita took a lot of technical awards. I think a lot of it was pretty much within expectations. Yeah, right. The big story of the night is definitely Raging Fire kind of surprising everyone at the end. With best, Well, not Best Director, but Best Film. And I think a lot of people were expecting, me including, were expecting Anita to win because 
Well, I wasn't in Hong Kong when Anita came out last year, but I was aware that there was this huge marketing campaign by the distributor Echo Films, and it eventually became the second highest-grossing Chinese language film of all time. So they definitely made Anita a cultural phenomenon, and they've kind of done this tactic before with the Cold War films. So I was definitely expecting it to win. So. I I consider it quite like a well not a failure but a disappointment for them because of the aggressive campaigning they did. I don't know if you agree or not. Well, here's the thing. I okay. First of all, I worked on Anita from from a very very early stage. I've seen the film evolve over time, and and um, so I can't be completely biased about the quality of the film itself. In fact, I actually haven't. My secret is I haven't seen the final final theatrical cut. I've seen so many versions of the film that I haven't actually gone and seen the final theatrical. Cut I think it's there. totally understandable. <laughs> yeah. if you got tired of it. Or... Well, I didn't get tired of it, but it was kind of like I, I've seen it like ten times right now. Um, so so it was kind of hard for me to go sit in the theater and watch it again. Um, plus I I would have to like I couldn't I couldn't resist you know checking uh my work on the film because I did subtitles, so I couldn't get into a theater and watch it. But anyway, um. The word of mouth wasn't exactly great on Anita. I think everyone will agree that, or most people will agree that Louis Wong did a great job. I think most people will agree that Fishlow did a great job. Um, I think most people will agree that special effects recreating old Hong Kong was great. But at the same time, there was a lot of criticism towards the film um, about um, the director's uh, Lomon learned his style of infusing way too much uh, archival footage or the way that. Uh, the the sort of pick and choose nature of how you do a biopic, you know, because there's so many facets and so many. Um, it's such a Anita Moy has such a tumultuous life, uh, eventful life that you know it's hard to kind of figure out which one to pick. So you know, there's a lot of debate about that. So uh, to be honest, knowing that that I wouldn't say controversy, but knowing that there's so much debate and that there wasn't a real consensus about the quality of the film I was a bit um, uh, at least until the award started I was a bit on the fence about how what his chances was at winning the best picture award in fact I thought the most um, consensus that everyone had about being best picture material was Limbo because so many people uh, in the film industry um, love that film of course it, it's no film has a hundred percent you know agreement about where it's good or not but because I know some people that really hated Limbo but at the same time I think the sort of the, the loudest about you know Limbo uh, chances of winning Best Picture or the chances that it was a really a great film. I thought Limbo really had a chance. Right. Well, Anita was not really favored by the critics community in Hong Kong, and Limbo won the Hong Kong Film Critics Award for Best Film, which is like the only other major award ceremony in the Hong Kong film industry. Well, there are some minor ones by the Directors Guild and the other guilds, but. The major ones are mostly the Hong Kong Film Awards themselves and the Film Critics Awards, and Limbo kind of swept that ceremony. So, I definitely agree that Limbo was the art house, the critics pick. And I wonder what you think about Drifting, which was also another art house critics pick that got completely empty-handed at the awards. I think it broke the record for most nominations without any wins. So that was definitely also like a pretty big gesture to me actually i wonder what you think about that well drifting drifting i think drifting's biggest chance was uh at least at awards was francis Ng, um 
who has been nominated for like six or seven times at the right. uh, for best actor now, and and I thought best director. June Lee would have had his uh, biggest chance as well, but then the thing is, I think a lot of people saw that it was June Lee's second feature film, and uh, so so a lot of the voters thought that well, you've had your chance, right. so they thought they would give yeah. it to someone else, someone who's uh, who's really a first film, yeah, because the best film, best new director award, the eligibility is the first or second film, so by that by that standard, June Lee got nominated, but I think a lot of voters was like, well, let's give it to someone who actually directed his first film matter, but um, I thought. You know, and unfortunately, Francis Ng went up against, you know, 86, 80, uh, just give me the age again, 85 year old, 85 Patrick Say, I mean, of all people, yeah, because if there's anyone who is, because um, the Hong Kong Film Awards has this sort of hierarchy, right, and I think it's sort of a secret unspoken hierarchy that if certain people waited a long time, oh, maybe it's his or her turn, you know, the way that Andy Lau had a ton of nominations before he finally won for Running Out of Time, the way that um, uh, Lao Cheng Wan had a ton of nominations before it was finally his turn. So everyone thought, well, it was finally Francis Ng's turn, but then you had an 85-year-old Lifetime Achievement Award winner who hasn't won before, so it was his turn. So that was the really unfortunate um, turn of events for Francis, who I thought really did well. Um, I was kind of pulled for Chek Won Ho as well, but Chek Won Ho lost at the Golden Horse Awards. So I kind of thought, okay, well, maybe the support just wasn't there. So Right. Yeah. So unfortunately, Drifting, very strong film, but just really had very strong competitors in the compet- in the categories that it had really chance. Right. I think the kind of the age and experience thing where you kind of have to wait for your turn to win is one of the things um, the Hong Kong Film Awards somewhat shares with the Oscars in terms of like there's this overdue factor that if you're overdue you're kind of more likely to win even if it's not your best work and I definitely agree that Francis Ng is kind of like the well I think it's he's kind of like the Leonardo DiCaprio of Hong Kong where you know people are just like like he hasn't won for so long that it's just kind of become a meme at this point everyone's kind of like it's his turn this time oh, never mind he's never gonna win it it's like it's really sad I think I think he he definitely deserves a few in the past. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, pa- Patrick say waited. I mean, Patrick say waited eighty five years, so it's fine. I'm I'm okay with this. Yeah, I I do think Patrick <laughs> yeah. did a great performance. Um, I'm I think out of the main contenders, zero to hero is the one that we haven't discussed, and I was also quite surprised that it, it wasn't a great night for that film either because it had enough industry support last year to become Hong Kong's pick for the Oscar for Best International Feature, which obviously wasn't nominated, but clearly it had a lot of industry support at that stage. So I wonder kind of, you know, what do you think happened that made it not that... Well, aside from the surprise Best Supporting Actor win, which went to a 16-year-old actor, Fung Ho Young, so that was a great surprise. But other than that, Zero to Hero didn't really win a lot of awards. What do you think about that? Yeah, I thought that maybe the CODA factor, this is what I call it now, the CODA slash Green Book factor would sort of play into this win. Um, the fact is, I think, uh, just like the Oscars, just like most you know film industry award these days, there is sort of a generational split. Um, the people who decided on Zero to Heroes um, representation of Hong Kong at the Oscars uh, Best International Film Race those were decided by the older people uh, in the industry, I think. Um, what we call the bosses, right? Um, so they picked a a, a, a uh, crowd pleaser. They picked some something of a you know uh, inspirational story, um, and 
actually, it really did well at the box office. In fact, it actually beat Raging Fire at the box office, uh, Zero to Hero. So, you know, it was an easy sort of pick for the older sector of the film awards. But of course, at the same time, you have the younger voter base, um, the more sort of, I guess, um, I guess the art house leaning uh, sector of the of the um, of the voter base who didn't quite go for it. I actually ex- fully expected either uh, Mason Fong or um, uh, Lun Chong Han, who played the older So Wai in Zero to Hero, to pick up the best um, uh, new performer prize. I thought that was really the most competitive category of the night. The fact that you, I think, all the best new performer nominee got best supporting or best actor or best actress yeah. or best supporting actress nomination that's really saying something about how competitive this field was this year um so i wasn't surprised that one of the act young actors uh, of the film got an award i was surprised that sandra mm, didn't like you know didn't get her award i thought like you said there was some sort of campaign quote campaigning i think we'll get into this yeah. later but you know she was really in the spotlight at the time she was in a really crowd-pleasing performance but again i guess um CLO sort of got the better uh of the voters they they thought that you know sia had a much uh, harder role to play so they went for that one and at the end of the day i guess most of the voter base just didn't think zero to hero was that good of a film before the night I thought among the best film nominees, all of them could win except Raging Fire, and then of course Raging Fire won. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, moving on to the awards in general, I forgot to ask you this in the beginning. Um, so Kevin, what's like your first memory of the Hong Kong Film Awards, and how did you become like? I don't know if you're obsessed with the awards or not, but like, how did you become attached to them? Well. Actually, I'd like to hear your thoughts first because I mean you're much younger than I am, and and um, and of course you grew up on Hong Kong cinema, and because I have a like you said, I have a bit more complicated history of it, so I'll come back. You can come back to me later, but I'd like to hear your thoughts about how you sort of became. Right. What, what what how what is your attachment? To I don't know. This like exposes my age. Like we have to say in Cantonese, <laughs> it's like bolo niling. Um, <laughs> yeah, my first memory of the Hong Kong Film Awards is Ip Man winning Best Film in two thousand nine. I remember like watching that on TV, and I guess it just kind of bestowed some kind of legitimacy and respectability to the film. And then after that, I just started becoming pretty like I wouldn't say obsessed, but like I was paying attention to the awards every year, even though I hadn't seen all the nominees. Like I would make predictions, even though I hadn't seen them. I don't know based on what. And um, and I think every year the Hong Kong Film Awards represents to me like a list of what's supposed to be the good films of the year especially when i was young and i didn't really know where to look because in in hollywood for example you have things like rotten tomatoes and metacritic where you can try to find out what movies are the good ones released that week or the year and in hong kong there isn't really this kind of aggregator so every year i'm just lost and i'm like okay among the 40 hong kong films released this year which ones are the good ones and every year i just relied on the hong kong film awards as kind of like a guide to what the best films of the year was which obviously now in retrospect i realize that's a pretty flawed strategy because sometimes some not so great films win at the awards but back then when i was a child definitely it was a pretty big deal to me 
What about see, you, Kevin? Well, see, you grew up in the. You're used to seeing only fifty or sixty or forty Hong Kong films made every year. Imagine when you're living when a hundred, hundred fifty, two hundred Hong Kong films are coming every year. That's even harder, right?、Um, I didn't. I mean, I grew up in that time, kind of. I sort of really came into being a film fan. During the downfall, the beginning of the downfall of Hong Kong cinema. So you know, I I saw the sort of how the mechanics of the industry, and I saw how difficult things were becoming. And、um, but anyway,、um, how I began to get attached to the awards. Well, I, when I came back to Hong Kong in two thousand seven to pursue my masters,、um, I was running a film blog at the time. It was a film news aggregation blog.、Um, so I was rounding up film news every day, and and translating you know the. The headlines or whatever for for people, and I thought, well, I needed some material for the blog, and I realized that I was the only one who was geeky enough to be watching the Hong Kong Film Awards every year and to translate it for people online live for free for everyone. I thought, oh, that's good content for my blog, so so I had a niche there. So I started、um, sort of doing it, and it helped because when I came back to Hong Kong, as I was saying, I was writing for a website called LoveHKFilm.com. So me. The webmaster、um, Ross、uh, and a couple of friends, we got together every week to watch the new Hong Kong films、um, on Thursdays on opening day. So the newest Hong Kong film, we would, so we literally almost watched every new Hong Kong film that came out in cinemas. Even if there's two Hong Kong films that we would just get together on weekend and watch all together. And so every year we get together and started doing a、uh, our own awards, our own Love HK Film Awards, and we choose the best film and we choose some funny awards. Um, and so on and so forth. So to compare notes, you know, kind of like, oh well, our taste is like this, the Film Awards taste is like this, and also wanted more content for the blog. So I started doing the Hong Kong Film Awards every year, and I expanded to Golden Horse,、um, even though my Mandarin was crap at the time. So I kind of expanded, just wanted to do a niche.、Um, And besides, all the professional writers who could do this kind of stuff were doing it for a living, getting paid for doing it.、So、they were going to do it. So I got, I got the niche. So、um, that was the beginning of it. And as I kept working in the film industry, I started doing,、um, I started doing, you know, small things like translating synopses, just writing for, for for film festivals. But then I started doing subtitling for films, and that meant that my my name got into films that I worked on. So that became,、uh, and I, of course, I got to know friends in the film industry. So I began to have a more of an emotional connection to some of the films that got nominated.、Um, I wouldn't go as far as to say that I only root for the films that I worked on, but you know, I would be happy for people I know that that have worked on films that won. I'd be happy for films that I worked on if they won. For example, I worked I worked on Project Gutenberg, and yeah, I know that there was a lot of controversy when that won Best Picture. But at the same time, you know, it was great for my resume. So,、uh, to be honest, so yeah, so that's a very complicated、um, relationship with the awards. But at you know, as I grow closer to industry, even though I don't have a vote in the in the awards, I get sort of more emotionally attached to the awards. Right. So I think my the biggest burning question in my head for you, who is you know part of the industry, is. So I'm actually more of an Oscars obsessive than an HKFA obsessive, mostly because there isn't really anything you can obsess about with the Hong Kong Film Awards other than you know the the month when it happens, and the nomination stage.、Um, so yeah, for the Oscars, obviously you get these kind of huge for your consideration campaigns, you know, like film festivals, the press circuit, you know the. It's just kind of insane. It's like the 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 FYC industry, the awards industry in Hollywood has become an industry of its own inside the film industry, 
and we don't really see any of that for in the Hong Kong Film Awards, or at least on a much, much smaller scale. So my question for you is, in the Hong Kong film industry, how does awards campaigning happen? And is, is, is it actually a thing? It's not particularly a thing. I think, uh, so I worked on, I did a bit of interpretation for the Zero to Hero team when they were trying to campaign for the Oscar and they had to hire a PR firm in America to help them out. So because, you know, they kind of don't really have the, the manpower or the resource or sort of the know-how of trying to run a campaign like this. Because let's face it, the Hong Kong film industry is much more, uh, much smaller and much more uh, closely knit than, you know, than the typical, um, than like the American film industry. Um, it's kind of like an annual dinner, let's face it. It's like a company's annual dinner. So everyone is there. They kind of know each other. They're kind of buddies. So it's hard to say there's a campaign. And we all kind of, I think people in the industry know that uh, people who work for the companies whose films are nominated, they just vote for their own film. So it's kind of hard to say campaign uh, after the nomination stage. Instead, I think there's a bigger effort to get the films nominated because there is a loophole. Not a loophole, but there's a rule that is similar to the Oscars in that um, if a film plays in publicly in cinemas for, I think, five shows or five days, I think it's five shows. If it plays five shows or more before December 31st, then it gets nominated, then it's eligible to be nominated for the award. So in a typical year now, in, at least in the, in the last few years, towards November and December, you start to see films that, uh, that wouldn't come out until maybe the spring or the summer. They would get the five... Uh, five shows um, in December to sort of attract uh, uh, the possibility of nominating them. So uh, film companies would hold these screenings. They would uh, open a small amount of seats, maybe 20, 30 to the public, and the rest they would invite um, professionals, so critics, actors, whatever, people who would vote for the awards, um, whether they're not on the nomination company or not they would hire those people to show up to watch the films and with the hopes of nominating them. So a uh, few companies, that actually has worked for quite a few films. For example, Mad World, uh, Moment, that played in Toronto, and then in December, it got a couple of screenings. Uh, and then um, it went on this long trip around the world on film festivals. Uh, and then when it got a nom- bunch of nominations uh, at the Hong Kong Film Awards, it finally got released. So it banked on those Hong Kong Film Award nominations. So that's the idea of campaigning. But most of it is using the awards to bolster the commercial performance of the films in Hong Kong. That's sort of the idea. I think that also worked on... Um, I mean, Mad World is the one that I can think of most. But in a typical year, you see in a typical year in December, you start to see films that shouldn't come up much later and they get released. So that's where the mostly the campaigning comes in yeah the five day release thing like the super super limited release thing also happens in hollywood but i think it's more extreme in hong kong and i think it reflects the kind of sad state of these you know non-action non-genre films in hong kong that you 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 can't really make any money if you do a traditional fall release or winter release and you have to you release it so quietly and then wait for the awards to happen and then release it during the awards or immediately afterwards to attract as much publicity and box office as possible. Um, I think you were talking about this nominating committee. I'm curious about what are the people who actually get to vote for the Hong Kong Film Awards and is it kind of like the Oscars where, you know, it's also an industry award, you know, versus the Golden Horse Awards, for example, which is the awards in Taiwan that are 
considered the the highest esteem, the most respectable film awards in the Chinese language world, but that is done by a jury. It's kind of like this quasi film festival slash awards thing. Whereas Hong Kong Film Awards is much more like the Oscars, where it's supposed to be voted by industry people. But I'm curious, like how is how are those people you know invited? How is that comedy formed? Oh, honestly, I have no idea. One year, my friend told me who's the director. You know, he or she. I don't want to you know reveal who, uh, who that person is, but that person told me, "Hey, I I got chosen to nominate films. Help me pick some films." <laughs> So they all just fill a form, and and you know, and because because you know that person, let's face it, most Hong Kong people don't watch every Hong Kong films that come out that year. I mean, even I haven't watched uh, the new film by Dennis Law. I haven't watched Breakup Brothers Two nor Three. So I, you know, I can't possibly see every Hong Kong film, and um, yeah, and just said go. I mean, that person knew mostly for the major awards what to vote for, but for the technical awards or some of the stuff, you know, they all just fill a name or they all fill out names and whatever. But of course the um. The film, the film awards. They they give you a big. You can find this form online, of um the names that every eligible film submitted for every category. So that's a guide for all the voters, uh, for all the nomination people. But I think the nomination committee, so called nomination committee, is much bigger than we think. It's not like um five or ten people. I think it's quite a significant number of the voter base, and um and they all sort of hand in forms. They're given the guide to sort of wish who to pick for which which category. They fill out the names and then they hand it in, and I think that's how it works. But you have to note notice that uh, you have to note that the um, final results of the awards isn't one hundred percent weighted by the voter base. I think it's sort of or fifty. There's a split. So there's the votes. There's actual votes, and there is a professional committee or professional judge of like a hundred people or something like that that they deem to weigh heavier. The votes weigh heavier uh, than the actual voting base. Awards. I think I think it's sort of to prevent again this you know comp- people of different com- film companies just voting for their own films, right? So um, there is a split, and I think the weight the the sort of the ratio of the votes is pretty even, like fifty fifty or something like that. Right, because the Hong Kong film industry is so small that I can definitely see that it just becomes the studios people voting for the studios films. So it just becomes like a contest of which studio has the most voters. Exactly. So that's something interesting. I didn't know about the fifty fifty split. I see it as kind of trying to combine the Golden Horse jury system with the Oscars popular vote system, and it's definitely created some interesting winners in the past. But I think the Hong Kong Film Boards have generally maintained their their standard and respectability. You know, there hasn't been like a crash or a green book, in my opinion. I don't know what you think. Did you like Cold War? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, would I, throw it back I, I didn't work on the film, so you didn't tell me anything. I didn't work on the film, so you didn't tell me. I think when it came out, I was definitely drawn to the spectacle of it, and I definitely understood why. It created this impression of importance. Some people think it's substantiated, some people think it's just an impression, but it definitely carried this kind of, you know, capital I importance to it that drew voters to it and drew audiences to it. Yeah, I mean, in retrospect, I think it's considered one of the darker spots in the awards history but i think i think well i'm gonna be specific because if you remember what well, that film won like 11 awards and i think uh, uh, certainly a lot of it is warranted a lot of it justified but the one that that is still sort of that still stings me a little is the win by um the former icac um uh i think high level who, who only in seven yeah, shots in the a- film <laughs> and he got best new actor for pretty much doing 
acting or in seven shots of yeah, the film. He was like 60 years old or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. It, I think a lot of people... I like to meet who voted for that guy because they were probably funny enough that I would have a drink with them. I mean, that's the idea. I think they were just start doing it as a laugh. They all voted for him for as a laugh and somehow he managed to win the award. I mean, that was pretty funny. Yeah, the Best New Actor Award or Best New Performer Award. Yeah. Pretty cool gender-neutral name. Is also one of the... Yeah, like I remember Stephanie Ao, Ao I think she was nominated for best new actor and you know she's an athlete so it was just kind of like name checking obviously and actually this is a good i wonder if those you know the technical categories like best editing best sound design best action choreography which is a pretty cool award that the oscars don't have i wonder you know how legitimate those nominations are because it sounded like you were they were just kind of like filler for the voters so yeah i wonder i wonder if those actually represent the year's best work well, I, I mean, those there are unions of those people who are in the uh, who are working in those um, positions. So the the action action guys have their own union. The sound guys have their own union. The the art director. So you know, there are enough people who know these sort of techniques to to be voting. You know, for example, I think this year's the technical awards are pretty spot on. Um, I thought the special effects category was actually more competitive than I expected. I remember because I was I was blogging. And I was like, well, Shockwave 2's got a winner, right? Because, you know, it got that huge explosion of the airport. And then, wait a minute, Anita has that, that Jordan, has, you know, the, the recreation of Jordan. And then, wait a minute, Nimbo has the recreation of Quintong. Yeah, I realized it was a pretty competitive, and I thought those were pretty worthy nominees. Um, Limbo winning Best Art Direction, again, it was perf- it was fine. It was perfectly, um, makes perfect sense. The fact that um, they, they, they created the most realistic garbage heap I've ever seen in the history of film, that was pretty... That was pretty good. Um, and then there was... Uh, what was the one that I thought... Yeah, the Raging Fire Best Action Choreography. That was the only award... That was the only choice in that category that made any sense to me, to win that award. So, you know, they made you know pretty good choices. I think in, in, in all in all, I think people who work behind the scenes know the hard work that it takes to create certain a lot of these things, and I think they tend to do get it right, I think, in terms of technical awards. Yeah, cool. I think going back to this year's ceremony, the 40th Hong Kong Film Awards. What What's kind of like your review of it? You know, was it well-produced? You know, it's the first time it's happening in Star Hall, which is a concert venue um, in the same building as View TV, which is also the broadcaster, I think one of the organizers of this year's award. So yeah, like, what do you think of the production in general? So um, the, the, it tends to be, the awards tend to be held in the Grand Theatre, the Cultural Centre. I've been to that venue because the Hong Kong International Film Festival uh, puts their mm-hmm. biggest screenings in that room. So I've been there quite a few times to watch films. Uh, it's a smaller venue than Star Hall. I think it's about a thousand people, I think it sits. So um, smaller stage, but at the same time, you have this sort of very prestige feeling because it has like, it's three floors, I think. There's like an upper stall, there's a stall, and then there's downstairs. Uh, the acoustics is quite good. Uh, it creates a lot of chances for, uh, like I said, it's an annual dinner, so it, it creates a chance right. for people to riff sort of off off the cuff a little bit. Um, Star Hall is a bigger concert venue. I think it sits like 3,000, 5,000 people, something like that. Um, so bigger stage. So pr- production-wise, it was fine. The show scale was fine. I thought, uh, I remember very distinctly that they didn't pass out the first award until 45 minutes into the show, which was a huge problem for me. But the problem was that they had to also give um, time to pass out the awards from two years ago when there wasn't a ceremony. So they had to invite 
all the uh, winners to come up to give their own speeches and give them the time of day. So I understood that. But giving Michael Huey the Lifetime Achievement Award at the beginning of the show was a bit odd to me. I thought it was very odd. Um, uh, Mirror, I'm sure we have to do a whole thing about Mirror soon. But uh, but I mean, the show. otherwise, once you get past that, the show was fine. It was a very typical award show. It was weird to not have a host. Kieran Pang, who was a very famous uh, theater director and theater actor, and she, I think she was working on the committee of the awards. She did this thing where she was kind of the host, but she wasn't. You know, she came out yeah. and said a few things, but then she didn't introduce any of the presenters. There wasn't even any names on any of the presenters. You know, I think it was such an annual dinner vibe that everyone felt that, you know, we all knew everyone, so we don't need any ident- yeah. ID for anyone coming out, which was weird. And that sort of had me on my toes, kind of identifying everyone. But, um, but yeah, and, then, and of course the fact that it's on TV, that View TV really wanted to wrap it up on time, so they rushed through quite a lot of the yes. categories. And I was like, it went, this is a lot, you guys are throwing out like six awards at a time. Um, so that kind of gave it a rushed feeling to the show overall. But otherwise, you know, it's no worse than when TVB was producing it and they were cutting speeches for, for ads. Oh, That yeah. was really the, yeah, that was a dark period for the awards. Um, so otherwise, you know, I, I was kind of, I was okay. It's not like a great show. It wasn't a terrible show. I wish they bring back a host. Um, but we'll go back, we'll go in a little bit more. I want to hear your thoughts first, Justin. What do, what do you think of yeah. the show? I definitely think inviting the 39th HKFA winners back was a nice touch. And I'm surprised that, you know, the it, it went so smoothly. I mean, I'm glad that they rehearsed it and it was generally, you know, like, you know, it wasn't like bothersome or, you know, taking up too much of the time. I do think it was a very dry ceremony that had that annual dinner vibe. Like, it's definitely super rushed towards the end. It's funny because now that we've seen it, we, we think, oh, it was too rushed. It was too quick. And the only segment that happened was the In Memoriam segment and the Mirror performance. Uh, Mirror is the current boy band sensation in Hong Kong. They're, 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 they're like everything. They are, you know, they're just... It's the BTS of Hong Kong. They're the BTS of Hong Kong. That's the easiest way to put it. Yeah, it's like their cultural ubiquity of them is insane. And... It's funny because the Oscars, every year, people are like, stop the skits, cut the stupid skits, cut these segments. No one cares about a James Bond tribute at the Oscars. Just give us the awards. And then now we saw these awards being handed just as the awards and nothing more. And it was kind of too quick for some people, including me. And I definitely thought it's a, it's a shame that it was so dry, but because it's the 40th anniversary after all. But uh, the chairman, Derek Yi, uh, Yi Dong Sing, he said there are restrictions because of COVID. And I don't know if they're true or not, but I do think it's a shame that the 40th ceremony was this dry and small. I think that I, I thought it was a huge mistake to put the mirror performance right in the beginning because if the idea was to attract viewers to the awards, then you put it in the middle or you put it towards the end. Make people sit two and a half hours of film awards first. Before, you know, pull out... I guess Mirror had to do, like... People had to get to rehearsal, or they had a dinner to show up, or... I don't know, they had something to do. I don't know. So, so it's weird that they could just show up and do the performance and then go go do whatever they had to do for the rest of the night. Um, and as for the show, I think it was okay. Like, um, there was more stuff to put, fit in. Um, I was a bit disappointed that... I think in a smaller ceremony, sort of like the one in Cultural Center, there would have been a standing ovation for Michael Huey. This is a really big deal to me because of all people to give a standing ovation to, 
you, you, you have to give a standing ovation to Patrick Say, and no one stood up for Michael Way. That was the weirdest thing to me. Uh, and I guess a bigger venue might have been the reason for it. You know, I guess they, the, the audience base, I think if in a smaller venue, you see people in front doing it, everyone would st- stand up very quickly, sort of like a wave. Um, and and there, was, uh, there was also the best original song performance in the middle. Which was right, okay. but it was a yeah. medley. Like it was like yeah, all the songs medley, yeah. all compressed together in five minutes. Yeah. Which was fine because I hate. I would have hated it if they split up over the, the show. I would have been like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's wrap it up, right? Um, and also, I think one thing is missing without the host. So in the past, you would have um, people like uh, there would be multiple hosts. I think in the past we had like at one point we had four hosts uh, in one show. And then they would be sort of riffing off each other. Everyone would go off script. There's a script. I'm, I'm sure every category, every pre- every presenter had a script. But it seems like at least half the people don't follow it. <laughs> that, that's the tradition of the Hong Kong Film Awards. No one ever follows a script because they see their buddy on a stage and they want to, you know, tease him a little bit, whatever. Eric Dung, when he was the host, he did that. He did that. Uh, Sean Lau, which was a weird choice for a host, but it was weirdly effective um he has he had riffed on his buddies a little bit and that was really a lot of the fun of the hong kong film award seeing the host mm. this sort of rift on their buddies uh sandra mm, who is a who is a nom- nominee for uh, best actress she's famous for going on stage and messing up the script she goes off script scares all the nominees by by you know going on and on droning on and on about making her jokes and then and then you know uh like gives andy out every best actor award possible you know just for a joke <laughs> just to take the piss so I, I missed that kind of humor uh, in, in this mm. year's uh, awards. I, and, and I hate to say, because off, going off script means longer, longer award shows, but I wish there was more people going off script. So I think one person went off script, and that was uh, Derek, Derek Zung and Stephen Fong. Uh, Stephen Fong was making uh, a quip about Derek's dad uh, not being at the awards and how Derek was gaining weight, uh, looking more like his dad, and then they kind of went off script and made a joke about VTV. I wish there was more of that kind of riffing uh, at this year's awards. Yeah, I think, I, I don't know. Like, I think Nick Jung, Jung Gafai also went off script. Like, you know, he yes. he said the the winner's film wrong, which I think is really funny. Um, I do think, yeah, I think they were trying to highlight a lot of the new actors as the presenters. But they were, you know, I think they were scared, you know, they wanted to do a good job, so they were sticking so closely to the script that it was just kind of dry and humorless. Um, and you definitely forgot about the year, the the previous ceremony, where there were 38 hosts, because it was the 38th year, and they were trying to highlight 38 new actors, so it was, there were oh, 38 Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I remember hosts. that. Yeah, they, they had, they paraded all of them out in the beginning, and I couldn't keep up with any of them, yeah. Yeah, I do think it was weird that I don't think they even publicized their Mirror performance. It wasn't like they were advertising the show as featuring Mirror. It was just kind of like this underground hush-hush thing where there might be a Mirror performance tonight. So it was just weird. Yeah, I think they were trying to use them to replace the traditional song and dance routine at the beginning because they didn't have one this year. They've been trying to do that for a few years ever since Derek Yi took over as the chairman of the awards and he was he's trying to make them better and more presentable and more like the Oscars. And I, I, I do think on the topic of the ratings, it did quite well actually, I think. You know, the Hong Kong TV industry is kind of traditionally dominated by TVB, the biggest broadcaster. But that night, actually, it was almost 50-50. I think the TVB side only had 13 points, which is like, you know, a big shame for them. 
and View TV had ten points, which is a very, very, very good result for them. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm very, very glad that so many people tuned in to watch the Hong Kong Film Awards. I'm glad that they have some kind of popularity that the Hong Kong Film Awards can carry on. Even though I don't know what's gonna happen the next years, like because we only have eight months of eligibility because cinemas were closed for the first four months of the year. So I don't know if there are gonna be enough films to be enough to make a respectable ceremony next year, but we'll see. Yeah, I think we probably won't see the Hong Kong Film Awards again next year. That's my sort of uh, instinct. I think uh, Derek, the chairman, he's very um, pessimistic about seeing the awards back next year. But I'm sure you know Hong Kong will somehow manage to shore up enough films to get an awards going. I mean, I know that I've worked on quite a few films that haven't been released yet, so I know those films are ready. Um, so there will be films coming out soon. I think I think Hong Kong film industry will survive. You know, I think it needs something like the Hong Kong Film Awards. You know, even Despite the difficulties the industry is facing, I think you do need that kind of because uh, there's a lot of debate about at this moment in time in Hong Kong's history where you know people should still be celebrating the film industry or should the film industry still be celebrating. But I think the 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 city and the film industry deserves at least one moment to sort of give itself a pack on the back for what it's done. Right, I agree. I I do agree that there will be enough films to make the awards happen. And, you know, it's happened in the past where, it, you know, it looks so dire and then it still happens. So I think it will be possible. Um, yeah, so see you in 2025. <laughs> right. So any more thoughts about the Hong Kong Film Awards or for me before we wrap oh, up? Kevin? I mean, one thing that TVB did stop doing uh, like a week after the ceremony is that they decided to stop announcing the ratings. So I guess TVB really did some damage. Yeah, that's definitely true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. 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 yeah oh, I'm by the way, I guess one, one last thing we should uh, discuss a little bit. Did you watch the Red Carpet Show? I did intermittently, yeah. I think yeah, I is it, was... it the first year that they've done it on TV, the red carpet? I don't remember it happening before. I think so, um, and I thought it was terrible and they should replace the host. I know that they <laughs> hired the same guy to host every red carpet. Every public yeah. thing that VTV does, they hire the same guy, but they really should hire a writer. They really should just do better. I don't know, do better. I don't know. Yeah, I want to say that I, I do think VTV did a great job leading up to the um, awards. Like, the week before the awards, from Monday to Friday every night at 10.30, there was this game show called Gumjang Wanga, which was literally right. just a Hong Kong Film Awards trivia show for five nights leading up to the ceremony. And I'm like, like I can't imagine the, the Oscars doing that, actually. So it was it was actually... TVB you know, wouldn't even do that, so forget it. Yeah, like it, it showed how much VTV cared, or you know, I don't know who initiated it, but whoever did cared about the Hong Kong Film Awards and our culture and our history. And yeah, I, I, I do think VTV did quite a good job and I hope they become the broadcasting partner in the future. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, I think there's a lot of improvements to be made, but at least they respected the awards enough to show all the speeches. And I know that's a low bar to clear, but hey, TVP didn't do that, so. Yeah, well, thanks so much, Kevin, for a great episode on the Hong Kong Film Awards. And thank you so much for doing our podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Hong Kong on Screen podcast. Bye. Bye.